Hello, and welcome to the Think Peace Podcast, where peace crosses the mind. The show that explores the intersection of the human brain, psyche, and obstacles and opportunities to forging a lasting peace. I'm your host, Colette Rausch, and today we are talking about the importance of enhancing the mental and social well-being of change makers and leaders in order to build a shared vision for transforming communities from violence to peace. Our guest is Mandar Apte. He worked for 17 years with Shell International and managed Shell's Game Changer program on social innovation, focusing on investing in novel solutions to social and environmental challenges. After he left Shell, Mandar started the From India With Love initiative to reinvigorate the message of nonviolence in the world. In 2017, he produced a documentary about six victims of violence from across America who embarked on a transformational journey to India inspired by Martin Luther King Jr., who had also visited India to study nonviolence. He is also the founder and executive director of Cities for Peace, a not-for-profit initiative that actively promotes peace in cities worldwide. Welcome, Mandar, to the Think Peace podcast. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you, Colette. And it's the need of the hour to think peace worldwide. Exactly. And speaking of peace, it is nighttime where you are there in India and late morning our time. So thanks so much for for staying up late to talk with me today. Yeah, I think we have to be on a vigil, so we all need to stay up late. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We have a lot of work to do. <laughs> exactly. So I appreciate that. I want to start out and I want to ask you, how did you get involved in this work that you're doing now? What led you to the work of addressing violence in communities by working with affected individuals and organizations? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a, I call myself a person of privilege because I was born and brought up in a middle class family with good upbringing, parents, education, a good academic career, and then a professional career. I worked at Shell for 17 years. And one day in 2016, I had this key moment of truth where I felt that an act of violence can happen anywhere, it can happen anytime, but only when it happens to me that I may do something about it. Otherwise, especially in America, we have become so desensitized, immune to the news of violence that we move on from one school shooting to one mass shooting. Like it's so sad that we move on. And so that hit me very hard that day. And I started reading about the literature around the civil rights movement, how nonviolence was promoted. And so that was uh, my, I would say, turning point in uh, being part of the solution. And uh, that's a journey that, you know, I feel very humbled to have taken. I was already a meditation teacher, so I benefited from the gifts of inner peace to get over my own life situations and trauma. But I think when I started looking at the communities where violence exists, they don't have access to technologies of peace. And so that is where I felt like we have to bring the technologies of peace 
to communities that will never go on their own for you know a harvard conflict resolution diploma or for that matter even a yoga class because there is no yoga studio in such communities so i think that was uh, the basis behind why i started uh, taking the message of yoga meditation to people who needed the most i would say and your first experience in the first community that you started to work with was a community that involved community members but also police and um, members from certain gang communities. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about? How did you even become involved in a specific community where you started the work that you're doing now? And how did you make the connections with the members in the community if you were an outsider to that community? Yeah, so this, I was a Houstonian. I lived in Houston, worked at Shell. And I had ended up producing a documentary film that I had hosted the parents from Sandy Hook, a former gang member from LA and activists for the Black Lives movement. I had hosted them in India and we had followed the footsteps of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That documentary film uh, called From India with Love was premiered by uh, the city of Los Angeles at Paramount Studios as an initiative of the Los Angeles Police Department to improve community police relations. And so uh, I flew to LA and I did this screening with about 400 members of the greater community of Los Angeles. And that is where the community members then reached out to me after watching this documentary of uh, how we can promote peace and nonviolence in South Central LA. And that's my first interaction with that neighborhood. And it was through this uh, pool that, uh, you know, that I was invited there and I did uh, my workshops. I made friends and uh, yeah, I feel totally humbled and grateful for the opportunity they gave me to yeah, heal from their trauma. Police officers also came along. The, the leadership of the LAPD supported this idea. Uh, in part because, you know, I was able to perhaps show them that their officers are also stressed. They are also traumatized. And that's where we all need to come together to heal from our trauma. And community members, former gang members, at-risk young people, police officers, these are seemingly different stakeholders. They probably don't think they have anything in common. And what I shared with them is uh, what is common in all of you is trauma, is pain, just because of where you live and work. So let's come together in the spirit of healing from your trauma. And it's very interesting because you weren't originally part of the community. You had something that you felt could be helpful to the community. Can you talk a little bit about what are some, I don't know if I want to call them principles or what are some of the dynamics that come up when one comes from the outside wanting to help in, in some way that is useful and builds upon what the community's strengths are and isn't in some way imposing something new, if that question makes sense. Like how, do you, how does one as a quote outsider come into a community to build relation and, and, and build connection in a way that is, provides support yet 
is meeting people where they are and their agency and their strengths, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant question. It's a question around, you know, organizational change management uh, and having been, been part of a large organization, I know the, the reason behind your question, uh, even though in this case, it wasn't that challenging for me at all, I would say. And so now you are making me rethink what might have happened <laughs> because I did not go there with any agenda. I went there to be of service to them because they had invited me and because they had seen something on a visual media, my documentary film, which is a real unscripted film. And so the first thing I can uh, reflect to answer your question is stories, right? Stories make a huge difference in inviting people to relate and to empathize and to be compassionate. And that story, if it is authentic, if it is uh, real, it can move mountains because we are not robots. We are emotional beings, right? So I think the first step is the story that makes a difference in the perception of uh, an individual. And it invites you on a journey to ask certain questions. The second thing I would reflect now, two years ago, is uh, leaders that are open-minded, that perhaps have reached a point where they have tried everything they could, but they are committed to change, going beyond the call of their job mandate, for example. And this ability to try new things is a mindset. And that mindset I saw in the deputy chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. After he watched my film, he's a ja he was a Japanese American. He was trained by his mom in the Buddhist way of living. And so he reached out to me asking, hey, can we try this, what you show in the documentary film as a way, a way of healing and bringing people together? Can we do this as a social experiment in South Central LA? So the second answer to your question is an open-minded leader who is committed to change. And perhaps the way Dennis was, Dennis Kato is his name, the community members trusted him, right? So you need the social relationships that you trust someone. And I think the third and the more important is whatever you are bringing to the table, if it makes a radical shift, a profound shift, but in a simple way, that makes people, I would say, see hope that they can bring this in their neighborhoods and communities without feeling weird about it. <laughs> right? So that is change management principle number three is that if you want, if you become the first wave that, you know, tries something out, you need to be able, be able to move the, the second wave and the third wave and you should feel, yes, they will get it. It's simple. I think that is looking back at it because we train people in breathing exercises and everybody is breathing. You can relate to, huh, I, I wish I had learned this 20 years ago. I think that could be the third, um, third point in what you are asking me to reflect. 
And you mentioned something there at the end that relates to an experience. So oftentimes when we think of trainings, especially, you know, I used to be in the criminal justice system or you know, my background as a lawyer, we go in for intellectual training. So the experience is learning more information. And what you're talking about in the training is individuals are having an experience that's beyond just learning information in their brain, which Absolutely is, correct. is a different level. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then I would love for you to pick up the, the part of how that might play a role in what you said next, because as you mentioned in change management or working with groups, if you are an early adopter of a certain thing because you find it useful, there could be fear or concern, like you said, that you know, oh, you're weird, or you might be attacked if you try to <laughs> change in the system because the system may not welcome that or see the value of it. So, how does yeah. how do you make that move between the two? Yeah. So, one uh, aspect of change management is to provide the liberty of trying new things, whether it's you know, a, a, you are an organizational leader in a school or a hospital or a police department, I think you need to create a separate unit whose mandate is to try new things because that is a muscle you have to build. And that was my job at Shell is to try new things. That was the mandate of the innovation unit. The second nuance is you can try new things. You can do amazing, like cool, beautiful things. But at the end of the day, you want that to be absorbed into your organization. Otherwise, there is no sense. And so that is where you need to select the people who run this outfit that have the social and mental skills, not just the technical skills, so that they can create the transfer of that technology into their organization easily based on the relationships that they have built over the years. And I think if you do all those things correct, and if you, uh, you know, your intention is good, it should work out in the end. <laughs> that's, that's the hope, of course, as an innovator. Yeah. And uh, that uh, learning by doing, there's no way to learn this by, but you have to learn it by doing. Like you can't develop the innovator's muscle by reading a book or, you know, by doing a program at Harvard. You have to actually be an innovator or, hang out with other innovators to get this way of working, trying, hustling. Yeah, all these are skill sets that you learn on the, on the field, I would say. And so with the doing, can you drill down a little bit into what those folks that you're working with, that they're doing, that then aside from you know, learning mentally about what, you know, what something works intellectually, what is it that they're doing that has, a, has more of a stickiness that promotes them wanting to then pass that along and see yeah that's a beautiful question i think it has to be both they have to understand what they are doing and do this and both has to be easy because the communities that you are working or you're taking this message to uh, they're not very intellectual and actually that's the sweet thing about these people is they are human they are juicy they are like mm, loving so uh, the theory of uh, peace is very simple. When we have experienced negative emotions, right? Anger, frustration, blame, guilt, all these negative emotions that life gives us, do we feel happy when we are in those negative emotions? No, 
so when we are in those negative emotions right we feel like we need a time out right we need to give me some time i need to be with myself why because that is not our nature we want to come back to our nature which is peace that gives you a clue that peace is your nature <laughs> and what you need to do now is learn how to manage your negative emotions anger frustration sadness because they are keeping you away from your nature and the second thing that they are doing is those negative emotions are somehow making us a slave of those emotions for example when we are angry we say certain things to even our loved ones and when the mind calms down we go back to that person and say mom i'm so sorry i didn't mean to hurt you right so the negative emotion has taken control and it has made you say things or do things that you don't really resonate with you you have reacted to the situation and nobody likes that so that's the theory and now the technology of peace is very simple that every emotion has a corresponding breathing pattern so anger sadness depression anxiety all these are human emotions and the breath changes as soon as we have those emotions so the reverse is also true learning how to use your breath if i can help you manage your emotions then you are quote unquote free you are not impacted by the emotion and that is where they learn breathing exercises that uh, immediately give you an experience of what is peace so those two things are very simple like uh, you know anybody we sh- it should be a birthright it is our birthright to learn how to manage our negative emotions that knowledge needs to be given at a very young age so when you're working with communities you're talking about how learning about this and experiencing the breathing and going through training and understanding the dynamics as a group they're going through it together and then can you talk a little bit about what that looks like inside the room and what type of impact have you found with communities that you've worked with so my first time teaching meditation was about 18 years ago and then i trained people from all walks of life including my former colleagues at shell but this was a very different experience this the re- experience was different because these were all people who are from the same community and neighborhood that are seemingly different and most likely they don't talk to each other nor have the desire to get to know each other right because of whatever bias or inhibition that they might have so the first day of this workshop was a very interesting experience for me where the instruction i gave them is stand up go meet each other and exchange your name what do you do all that pleasantries and at the end say i belong to you and each one does the same with each other and we'll come back after 15 20 minutes and we'll share our experience so this process ended up 20 minutes later and uh, i asked how was the experience 
So one of my students, uh, Petra, she has been to prison about 10 years, I think, for some crime she had committed. And she raised her hand and she said, I've been running away from cops and you made me say, I belong to you. <laughs> and uh, the whole room went into laughter, right? So because the room was doing this, they were doing this exercise. And I said, what was your learning? And uh, she said, you know, I reflect that the person who was running away from the cops is no longer in the room. So why should I run away now? And so she had made this profound insight that she is no longer that person. And uh, that was a turning point for her. Otherwise she said she was going to walk out of the class. And that was a moment of our life. This was almost two years ago. I just reconnected with her last week on Zoom. And I asked her, what do you remember? And she started laughing and she said, how can you, how can I forget that first process? And another experience, uh, which was again new for me, but very interesting to observe is uh, the cops and the former gang members, when they were doing their breath and meditation practice, at the end, of course, everybody's eyes are closed, right? Because that's the whole point of meditation is go inward. At the end of the process, or even during the meditation process, I used to see things like looking side to side where they are looking side to side to check if everything is okay <laughs> yeah, yeah and and given some experiences that we might have had in our lives that could be very natural you know am i safe here yeah that's what they were they yeah, were uh, exactly. quote unquote looking for yep and so that for me was an interesting experience that you know it's brave of them to even come to this workshop if there is that much level of mistrust and close their eyes even for a little bit. <laughs> so I thought that was great. And, you know, by the end of the seven, eight week boot camp that we run, everybody was pally. Actually, they found out that some of the participants, the former gang members and the police law enforcement, some of them were classmates in their elementary school they were in the same class and that was a discovery for them you know that had we learned peace education in elementary school we would have chosen a different pathway of life so these insights do come when people start talking to each other but uh, i think the key is to create the trust and the space where we are not judging each other and once the trauma is healed then, you know, what remains in every human being is love, beauty, mutual respect, compassion. So it's been an honor of my lifetime to have this experience uh, in South Central LA. And I, what was so interesting is something that you mentioned earlier on, that it was by invitation. And so, first of all, the leadership was very important to provide that space, especially when you talk about hierarchical organizations within the police or other, even corporations. It's, it's especially in certain hierarchical structures, you need the leadership, as you mentioned, an open leadership. And then you mentioned invitation. People saw um, a glimpse of what you were offering and that, that 
resonated with them or they were curious about it and they came. This wasn't something that, you know, they were forced to join, but they were ready for this experience by volunteering. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I am not from Los Angeles. Uh, so I approached the leader of the Bloods gang in this neighborhood that I did my work. And I shared with him a breath exercise when I met him after telling him the theory, right? Trauma healing and all that breath, science of the breath. So I shared with him an exercise and uh, he did it. And at the end he said, this was good. So I said, Andre, you know, it's like when your parents taught you how to brush your teeth. Uh, they held your hand and they tried it and you sh you rebelled, but you still did it. But today, I think we don't leave our home before we brush our teeth, correct? So he said, yes. So I said, that's mental, hy that's dental hygiene. The exercise I taught you is a way to promote mental hygiene. And if you can do this for the next five days, I will take you for some nice Indian food on the sixth day. <laughs> and so he called me later and he said, oh, when is our meal appointment? Yeah. And so I think that is that helped. So Andre told me later on that, you know, you could not have done the work if I would not have approved it in my neighborhood. So <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, it's not just, you know, I was mentioning hierarchical organizations, but every community has their own correct correct, correct. And hierarchy and leadership from correct. Know, small groups to large groups yeah and sometimes you need that nod for the others to be okay with that being the, the nod of the leader or the respected person or you know who's running things yeah and my you know my experience uh, i reflect back on it that uh, mandar apte from shell met with Andre Vickers of this neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I'm neither black, I'm neither white. I'm not even from LA. And uh, Andre talks about it. Like I uh, was invited by the UN to talk at a UN conference. I took Andre with me. And he speaks about this experience that, you know, this Indian man came in my neighborhood and told me about the breath. And I thought he was crazy. But I did it and yeah, why didn't I learn it before? So that's where, you know, I feel like we make friendships in really uncharted waters that I, 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 I do want to say this, that I lived in LA for six months that year, 2019. Only two people invited me to their home. One was Andre Vickers, right? A formerly incarcerated, leader of this gang and the second was another leader of the Mexican gang in another neighborhood. These two people invited me to their home for a cup of tea. Nobody else. And that for me was so humbling like oh my god. They trust me like I better live up to their trust. And you know it's just beautiful. Once trauma is healed, I think we are all these loving, beautiful people that, uh, yeah, we have to be the change for people all, all over the world. It, can st it has already started in Los Angeles, a trend, a peace and nonviolence trend. <laughs> so how do you 
expand that. So, you know, given your background in innovation and in change management, and also working one-on-one -on -one with individuals, working with humans, how do, how do all these principles come together to ideally, let's just think big, spread to the entire United States? And why not over the oceans in the, in the whole world? Like when you think about peace, is that possible? Or are there so many, as you mentioned, cycles within us or you know, tendencies of human nature that it makes it difficult? So what's your vision and what keeps you moving forward um, towards peace? So I would say that um, five years ago, I could not have done what I did in South Central LA. 10 years ago, I could not have done what I did in LA. 20 years ago, I could not have done what I did in LA. So my own life journey brought me to a point to realize the importance of meditation practice, healing my own life and challenges in my life. And then coming to a point of realization that, oh my God, had I learned this way earlier in my life, my life would have been a different pathway. Right? So these insights uh, came to me over my own meditation journey practice. And the second thing that came in my life is I learned meditation not by reading a book, not through an app, but from a real life living enlightened master that is walking the footsteps on the planet today. Uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar is his name. And that is an you know, uh, an experience you cannot uh, express because through his teachings and through his like no-nonsense work, I have learned that in human life, you can be an inspiration for others. You can promote peace. You can live without losing hope. At the same time, it's not like I don't have negative emotions, right? Because that's not human life. So yes, you do get to experience the negative emotions, but that sometimes is like a line on water or maybe it stays for a day or maybe two days, not for 10 years or, you know, a whole lifetime that so many people are stuck with. So I think uh, the answer to your question, I don't think I'm going to say I have the answer because I think it needs to be a question that we need to ask ourselves every day because uh, the answer requires people of all walks of life to come together. And I may have a perspective of that answer, but that can't be the only way to promote peace. So uh, I think that's where if uh, my work can be an inspiration to other people. Uh, they can reach out and be the change in your own organization or neighborhood. If I can do it, if I can teach 2000 people at Shell Oil how to meditate, and if I can bring the LAPD cops and former gang members and victims of gangs in the same room, I think anybody can. You just need the desire and the in, intense intention not a lukewarm intention. And I think that is where, yeah, we, are, we would welcome people to be trained in how to bring the change in their neighborhood, right? Because uh, Colette, as you and I know, large organizations and systems, 
actually don't exist shell doesn't exist it's like the matrix people in shell exist and people in the city of los angeles exist so you do need bridge builders and systems and organizations can be transformed you just need you know the leader and the grassroots both coming together and doing it so i i don't want to answer your question i think i want to invite people who will listen to this podcast if anything that we are doing resonates with you reach out and let's create a beautiful world together and then you said a really important thing where can the individual what can the individual do within li- own lives and where they're where they're existing and i got this kind of image when you were talking about shell and other organizations they are made up of people and if individual people leadership of course makes it easier for for change to open up that's critical as you've talked about but that's still an individual so the power of that indiv- individual as a leader is very powerful as well as others who are who have um, roles whatever the roles are wherever they are wherever they're working in an organization or a community yeah leaders uh, of influence i think and they could be anywhere within the organization right so for example i trained 2000 people at shell how to meditate and the breakthrough came because the admins did my program and the admins started organizing the programs so if you think of the organizational structure the admin is probably the lowest in the food chain but influence is so big and so if you can think of uh, you know transforming the people with influence and then leaving it to them because they know what to do next and so that is the opportunity today because of the pandemic i think every person on the planet has experienced fear anxiety helplessness loss of life whole loss of hope and frustration at the same time that this is the opportunity for bringing leaders that have influence through zoom to this kind of training so that they can experience for their own self care and then the next step is easy because they are going to think what next so that we we cannot lose the moment the moment that we are in today as we speak yes there is a lot of turbulence but this is the time when you know jedis should wake up right <laughs> that's where we have to wake up <laughs> for the light the lightsabers the lightsabers <laughs> correct yeah Correct. Correct. Yeah. So it's been such a pleasure speaking with you, Mandar. And before we close, I wanted to open it up. Is there anything that comes to you comes to you that you want to share, or any any parting uh, thoughts that you might have? My reflection is the the equity discussion that is happening in America today. is uh, missing out on a very important inequity that people need to speak about and that is some people some individuals some communities they have the access to how to manage negative emotions and some people individuals communities have no idea 
that negative emotions can be managed in a healthy way. What happens when you give that access to this knowledge of managing negative emotions? You will see that violence will stop. And violence now consists of a couple of levels. One could be hurting yourself because you are in pain. You are taking your own life, right? So suicides. And today, university campus students have uh, started committing suicide is what I hear. Domestic abuse, that is leading to a lot of like mental health challenges to individuals. So violence level will stop in the suicide realm or in the hurting others, like, you know, homicide levels have gone up 30% in large cities. So once leaders give access to this inequity, the immediate ripple effect is they will see a decrease in violence. Because, you know, violence ends where love begins, right? So if you love yourself, you will not hurt yourself. If you love somebody else, you will not hurt that other person. So that's where I think we have to provide people with tools and wisdom to heal and transform their negative emotions. And it's easily doable because it's based on your breathing, which you are doing anyway. So final thought is peace of mind is just a breath away. The breath has a lot of secrets uh, and it's an invitation for learning and making the breath as your ally. That's beautiful. Th thanks so much, Mandar. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, yes, and sharing, wonderful. Sharing your experiences. So thank you for being on the Think Peace podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much. And I uh, send my love and blessings to you for doing this. And anybody who is listening, just be uh, extra careful about your own self-care. Beautiful. Great, great piece of wisdom sharing, uh, Mandar. Thank you for joining us this week for the Think Peace podcast, where peace crosses the mind. Please visit our website, www.thinkpeacepodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next week. And remember to think peace.